psalm we'll be studying today is Psalm 136, and we're going to do something a little different in our scripture reading. This psalm is written to be read or sung responsively. So I will read the first half of each verse, and I invite you to participate with me by responding each time by saying, his steadfast love endures forever, as you see on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule the day. The moon and stars to rule the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh Give thanks to the God of heaven. His steadfast love endures forever. You may be seated. Does anyone have any idea what this message today might might possibly be about? After 25 repetitions, 26 recitations of his steadfast love endures forever, you get the idea that it might be about God's steadfast love. And you might be right. My name is Tom Macy, and uh, we're in a summer preaching series, Songs of Rescue from the Psalms. It's my privilege to preach today uh, here on a Sunday morning for the first time since January. 
And uh, since I stepped out of the lead role, and uh, thanks to uh, Pastors Jeff and Joey for giving me the opportunity today, uh, the month of July is going to have a lot of diversity in terms of uh, preaching. Uh, Luis Martinez, pastor of Iglesia de Fe, is scheduled to preach next week, uh, so you don't want to miss that. I will miss it, as uh, Lord willing, I'll be in Iowa uh, for a family reunion. It's uh, at Lake Okaboji. Now, someone thought it was Lake Wobegon. No, that's Minnesota, fictional Minnesota, uh, but uh, it's not too far away. And uh, thrilled to be with family and thrilled to have a number of family this morning. In fact, I think eight of my grandchildren are present today, so that's real special, along with two of my daughters. Well, thus far, we've touched in this summer series on the themes of envy and fear with the promise of more painful themes to come disappointment, discouragement, grief, guilt, themes in the Psalms that the writers reflect very directly their emotions, their need to be rescued. And so we're looking at what David and Asaph and the sons of Korah and some anonymous psalmists as we have today Uh, Psalm 136, uh, how they relate to these very raw emotions and experiences, how they deal with that. Again, circumstances that call for rescue. What can we learn about life as it is? Well, last Sunday, Pastor Joey went positive on us with the theme of joy, and uh, I'm going to stay on the positive side today as well with the theme of gratitude. You may be in the 4th of July mood, but this is Thanksgiving in July, so let's dig in with gratitude. After all those repetitions of his steadfast love endures forever, uh, that's not where it starts. It starts with repetition, but not about his love endures forever, but thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord, all caps, which is always Uh, Yahweh, the personal name for God, 6,500 times in the Bible. Give thanks to the God of gods, Elohim of Elohim, uh, 2,600 times in in, in Hebrew for God, but also used for magistrates and angels. But God is set apart. He is the God of gods. And then give thanks to the Lord of lords, Adon or Adonai, 300 times. Lord, master, owner can be used in many contexts, but God is the Lord of lords. And that's brought into the New Testament as we celebrate Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's how it starts. And the psalm ends that way as well. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. That's how it starts. And then it ends by saying, give thanks to the God, El, of heaven. We're to be a grateful people, a thankful people. We're to be thankful to God and praise him from whom all blessings flow. New Testament theme picks this idea of thankfulness up, and, and Paul addresses it uh, very strongly. He says in Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, always for everything. You don't feel like that, do you? But that's a command to us. Philippians 4.6, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. 
And 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. God's will for you in Christ Jesus to be a person of gratitude to God. So, what are you thankful for today? We we could make our lists, um, food, clothing, health protection, family, church, country, freedom on this almost 4th of July weekend. But that's not the point of the psalm. All, All those things you should be thankful for. But that's not the focus here. The main theme is gratitude, but more specifically, gratitude for God's love. More specifically, gratitude for God's enduring love. And even more specifically, for God's enduring, rescuing love. So that's our theme today from Psalm 136, gratitude for God's enduring, rescuing love. Now, in Jewish tradition, Psalm 136 comes at the end of a section of the Psalms, uh, and this one particularly is called the Great Hallel. You know what Hallel means? Used that word recently? Well, you know it. You just have to think a bit. Add the ending to it, ooh-yah, and it's Praise be to the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what it is. And this one particularly is praise to God associated with the Passover, which is the celebration of God's enduring, rescuing love. Now, one of the ways uh, we express Hallel, uh, that is praise, is through gratitude. And Psalm 136 gives several reasons uh, to be grateful to God. Now, as has been illustrated in the reading this morning, the psalm is antiphonal. It's a call and response. So underneath each expression of gratitude 26 times, we said his steadfast love endures forever. And you thought the reading of that scripture would endure forever, didn't you? That's a lot of times to say the same thing. Why the repetition? One of the criticisms that has created the worship wars, uh, battle about style of music, has to do with this whole issue of repetition. In the late 80s and early 90s, the critics called the new choruses seven eleven songs, seven words repeated 11 times, and they did not mean that as a compliment. And then someone noted that, oh, classical music does the same thing, the great Handel's Messiah. There's an awful lot of repetition. Psalm 136, though, beats them all. This is not a 711 song. This is a 326 song. 26 recitations of the exact same words. His love endures forever. The point here is that in Psalm 136, God-inspired word, this psalm has an emphasis that the Holy Spirit deems worthy of 26 recitations. Whatever you think about the songs we sing, This song is worthy of 26 recitations, so that repetition must be something pretty important. Now, before we get into more detailed content, I want to just look at the structure a little bit with two very small words, both prepositions, very important little words, and we're looking at them in English. They tend to be built into other language words, but uh, both prepositions that control the entire psalm, and these words are two used 12 times, and four used 26 times. So I want to show you how important these prepositions are, and so welcome to Summer School Grammar 2017. 
Two is primarily a directional word. Look at it. Give thanks to. Repeated in verse 2, give thanks to. Verse 3, give thanks to. And just so you don't forget, one more time at the very end, give thanks to. In other words, gratitude is not an end in itself. Gratitude must be directed. And it is directed not to the gift, not to your food and your home and your family and your country and freedom, not directed to those gifts, but to the giver of those gifts. It is addressed, expressed to the giver. Now look again at what follows two in every one of the 12 examples in Psalm 136. Verses 1 to 3, to the Lord, to the God of gods, to the Lord of lords. Verse 4, to him. And then verses 5, 6, 7, 10, 13, 16, and 17, to him in each one of those. Then a slight variation in verse 23 It is he who remembered, but it's essentially saying the same thing. To him who remembered, verse 25, he who gives. To him who gives, and verse 26 again, to the God of heaven. Gratitude, thanksgiving is expressed to the giver, to God. Praise is directed solely and entirely to God. It's not to be shared with anyone else. Isaiah 42 8, my glory I give to no other. Isaiah 48, 11, my glory I will not give to another. So the praise, the gratitude, the glory is given to God. Then the next preposition, for. One time in verse 1, for he is good. Then in every verse, 26 times, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, for is a very diverse preposition. It has lots of meanings. Dictionary.com has seven different connotations of for. And if you get an unabridged dictionary, I'm sure it will have several more. Uh, but it primarily or commonly denotes purpose or cause. And in this case, it's putting the focus on God's attributes that lead to his gifts for which we express gratitude to him specifically for his steadfast love, for his enduring love. And we're going to come back and unpack this just a little bit more right at the end of the message today. But for now, we're going to look at all the things that are set forth that call for this response of for his steadfast love endures forever. Gratitude is to God for his steadfast love. Now, as we look more closely at the content of Psalm 136, we're going to look at some definition in detail about how God's steadfast love is expressed. We're going to look at it in three, uh, in three categories. And the first one in verses uh, 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 4 through 9 is thanks to God for his creation and providential care. And we're taken immediately back to Genesis 1. This is true of many of the Psalms, especially this one. It is calling our attention to previous scripture, to things we already know. It's calling them to mind and expressing them in a hymn of praise to God. Everything God did in Genesis 1, the creation, comes out of his steadfast love. Verses 4 to 9, give thanks to him who alone does great wonders. The omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God is the one to whom we give thanks. The God of gods, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven. In contrast to the gods, the invented gods of this world. Look back to to, to Psalm 135, just, just previously. 
Look at what it says in verses 15 and following. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. So somebody takes a certain amount of silver and and fashions it into a god. And uh, some are quite, quite attractive, quite creative, good artwork. They're the work of human hands, though. And, and he notes, you know, they, they have uh, mouths because the, the sculptor made a mouth for the god. But they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. And, and nor is there any breath in their mouths. They're dead. They're dead. And you're going to worship that? Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. No, this is the one and only incomparable God, verse 5, verse five who by his understanding made the heavens, verse 6, who spread out the earth upon the waters, verse 7, who made the great lights, verse 8, the sun to govern the day, verse 9, the moon and the stars to govern the night. Uh, that's who we're talking about, and God did that in his sovereign over all creation over everything he made as a reflection of his steadfast love. It wasn't because he got bored one day and said he needed to make something, so he decided to make the universe. No, it's out of his very purposeful, steadfast love that he created all this. Had the privilege this spring, I wasn't preaching here, but had the privilege of teaching in connection class. By the way, connection class teachers, I realized how hard you work. It's a lot of work putting together a class. And I had an excellent co-teacher, John King, to take some of the load for me as well. But uh, thank you for the, for the great work you do. But we taught a class called Storylines. Uh, and th- this is where the storyline of the Bible starts with creation. And then it goes on from there to the the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who was the friend of Moses, the God who promised David an everlasting kingdom, the God who became flesh and lived with us. It is he who made it all, who created all there is. It all relates to an essential aspect of God's character, his steadfast love that endures forever. But starting in verse 10, everything in the rest of Psalm 136 is related to the core story of a specific people, descendants of Abraham, on down to his grandson Jacob, the story of Israel, with the focus being on the exodus of Israel from Egypt and being settled as a nation in the land of Canaan came to be known as Israel, the land of promise. And now we've we've got the first point. We've got two more to go, and we're going to look at one after the other. But they really are two tracks that are intermingled here, two tracks of history that are intermingled in the psalm for which thanks to God is due. The first of these two tracks, we'll come back then with the parallel track, but the first of these tracks is thanks to God for his righteous judgment in which he upholds his righteousness and expresses his justice. Verses 10 to 12, give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. This part of the story is from Exodus 12, when the angel of death went through Egypt, killing all the firstborn of man and animals. And then verses 13 to 15, give thanks to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and swept 
Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. That part of the story comes from Exodus 14. So all that's in this psalm today, you can read in Genesis and Exodus in the book of Numbers. So you just go back and read those. Read, read it. Don't just read a chapter a day. Just sit down and read it for several hours. And you get the whole flow of this story that is so important. Verses 17 to 22. Give thanks to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sion king of the Amorites and Og king of Bashan. That part of the story comes in Numbers 21. That's why you need to read on into Numbers. And what does it say for each one of these bits of history? For his steadfast love endures forever. What? God's going around killing people? And he does it out of his steadfast love? How do you explain that? Now, we, we know this won't fly without some significant pushback, as some will see this as evidence of, you know, the mean and nasty God of the Old Testament and, and the much more refined, nicer God of the New Testament. Well, those who speak that way haven't read the Bible very carefully because the Bible is consistent throughout that God is a just judge and a loving, caring father. And that these are not in contradiction. Messes with our categories in our secular American culture. But these are not in contradiction. These are not two distinct gods, but one and the same God. God, as revealed in the Old Testament, is the God whose steadfast love endures forever, and it's reflected most dramatically in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Now, I can't develop, um, many, many preachers would just focus on the, 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 the happy parts of Psalm 136 and not focus on the judgment part and just kind of ignore that and hope nobody notices. We can't do that. We don't understand the text if we do that. Now, I'm not going to develop a, a robust explanation in this sermon, but one source I suggest is, is Tim Keller's book. Uh, it's a few years old now called The Reason for God, uh, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. It's, it's not a hard read, it's a, it's, but it's a wonderful introduction to some of these difficult issues. And he, he, the chapter that addresses this whole issue of God's love and God's judgment as necessary complements to each other. They, they do go down a parallel track that, that does fit together is the chapter with the title, How Can a Loving God uh, Send uh, People to Hell? And I think you'll find Keller to be very, very helpful in addressing that. But, but just a brief, uh, uh, just touching on it briefly, would, would a God of love, would a God of love not hold Hitler accountable for his great evil? You say, well, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Of course, but that's a big exception. Oh, not as exceptional as you think in this evil world. You need to start at that extreme and then work back toward yourself and you'll find out that even you in your heart may not be as different as Hitler from Hitler as you think in terms of your capability for evil. And apart from the restraining grace of God, and even beyond that, the particular grace of God revealed in Christ Jesus to give you a new heart, the new birth. You could be in that same place. 
The point is God is holy, sin must be punished, justice must be upheld, and can a loving society be loving without justice? It's a big issue in America today. Can a, can a society truly be loving without justice? Justice must be upheld. We can see that on a human level how much more offenses against a holy and perfect God. Because a God who is not just, who does not uphold justice, who does not care about justice and righteousness, in fact, would not be loving. But because God is love, he is patient, and he delays his judgment. Delays deserve judgment. Here's an example. God told Abraham, this goes back to Genesis 15, but I I found it in this text. And I want you to to see if you can find it with me. God told Abraham that his family would be exiled in Egypt for 400 years. And then they would be brought out and uh, brought to the land that was promised to Abraham. And one of the reasons for this long delay in the promises being fulfilled, the explanation is given in Genesis 15, verse 16, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Did you notice the Amorites in our reading today? Verse 19, he struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites. That's one of the peoples that needed judgment, but God restrained himself. He does not jump in too quickly. He is patient. He holds back. But ultimately, justice has to be done. And Og and Sion experienced this. God does not unfairly judge anyone. He's amazingly restrained, but the problem of God's judgment, ultimately, the real problem is not that he does it, but that he waits so long. Do you feel that when you see injustice taking place? You say, God, why don't you stop that? Why don't you judge that? Why don't you punish that? God in his love is restrained and delays, and that's good for all of us. It's a gift to all of us. Peter writes about the coming judgment and says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. And in that case context, the promise is to judge sinners. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all come to repentance. Because God is love. He must carry out justice and judgment. Now, let's go to our third item, and this track of God's judgment is perfectly paired with the track of God's saving, rescuing grace. And so, we say thanks to God for his rescuing, saving purpose in delivering his people from slavery and leading them to life and home. Verses 10 to 12. Give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. See, God was delivering slaves into freedom. And this is the story from Exodus eleven fifteen. 15. This is the foundational story of the Old Testament, uh, Israel. The annual Passover 
in the spring is the celebration of this great deliverance. This is Israel's 4th of July, their Independence Day. This is big. Now, we're celebrating, I don't know if this is a 4th of July weekend when it comes on Tuesday, but I guess it is. Uh, We celebrate our deliverance from Mother England and the injustice of King George III. And we make a big, big deal of it, and I'm fine with that. The music, the fireworks, the barbecues, whatever, however you celebrate this. But my friends, this deliverance here, this Independence Day of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery is a far greater deliverance day, Independence Day, than ours. Far greater. And so we celebrate the Passover as it points to Christ, a sober and a joyful reflection of the goodness of God whose steadfast love endures forever. The Passover lamb was slain. The blood of the lamb was painted on the doorframe of the house. The angel of death, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, is the promise. And so it happened. And so judgment came on Egypt and rescue from slavery came to Israel. And that points to Christ, our Passover lamb, whose blood was shed to deliver us from sin and deliver us into eternal life. The story continues. God doesn't just save you out of slavery and then that's it. Verses 13 to 15, give thanks to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. That very same event that brought judgment on Egypt is the source of deliverance for Israel to get away. It continues, verse 16, give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness, even when they were consistently disobedient. Verses 23 to 25, it's he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our enemies. He, he who gives food to all flesh. Read Exodus 16 through the end of the book, and uh, don't skip Leviticus, but, but if you want to jump for the sake of this, of this story, jump into Numbers It's far more than numbers. It's packed with stories of God's care and God's patience when they rebelled, when they deserved his judgment, and yet he was patient in his love. God is love. God is just. God judges. God rescues. God provides. And this is explained by these words, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, what does that have to do with you and me, this ancient story from Israel? everything. This is the story of God's promises to Abraham, Moses, and David, the story of Egyptian slavery and deliverance, the story of the Passover lamb and the blood on the doorpost, the escape through the Red Sea. A nation is born, a kingdom is established, King David, First and Second Samuel as well, you go for that. All the history of ancient Israel, but it points ahead. It points ahead, gloriously so. Points ahead Supported by the prophets as you read the latter half of the Old Testament. I'm just getting ready to read Isaiah. So excited every time when I get ready to get into Isaiah. It all points to Jesus, who died for us, who was raised from the dead, to deliver us from our own slavery to sin, to provide forgiveness and eternal life. And that's what we call the gospel, the good news. And it's based on the character of God 
revealed in three Hebrew words. It's six in English ESV, but it's really just three. For his steadfast love endures forever. It's really packed, though, the essence of it into one word, the word translated, his steadfast love. Uh, please turn to Exodus 34. I uh, forgot to get the number for you, but it's the second book of the Bible. Start at the very beginning, Genesis, and then go till you find Exodus in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is after God has rescued them from, from Egypt. They've been brought into the wilderness. They've been given the Ten Commandments. And then Moses goes up on the mountain to get the full extent of the law. And while he's gone, they get restless. They decide we need a God to take us on. Moses, we don't know whatever happened to this fellow. He may never see him again. We may never see him again. So, so they had Aaron make a golden calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel. And they're dancing and worshiping the calf and Moses comes down and is just so devastated and heartbroken and angry and he throws those tablets of the law down and breaks them and he grinds up the golden calf and makes them drink it in water and God says Moses I'll just kill them and I'll make a new nation out of you Moses says this is the dynamics of human divine dialogue and Moses said, no, 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 God, you can't do that. You promised, you promised, you've got to fulfill your promise, otherwise your reputation will be trashed. And there's a lot of dialogue as Moses is trying to really get closer to God and to know God personally in a powerful way. And, and then God speaks to Moses and reveals himself, the heart of who he is, with these words, words that I first learned in 1974 uh, when I was in seminary, but going to a church in Mundelein, Illinois, and went to their evangelism explosion training class, and I memorized these verses as part of that training in a different translation, so I have to look. But here's what it says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in the Hebrew word chesed, chesed, steadfast love, and faithfulness, keeping chesed, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And again, some would just stop and not include that last part and hope nobody noticed. We can't do that. This is the Hebrew word chesed, found about 250 times in the Old Testament. Uh, various English translations select different words, mercy, love, loving kindness, loyal love, steadfast love. It has a broad range of meaning that, that just can't be captured by one very limited English word. Uh, many of the words uh, I've concluded... The, the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that really is, is part of the description of what, what chesed is. And the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, that's a description of chesed. But Will Kynes, writing for the uh, C.S. Lewis Institute's Quarterly Knowing and Doing, uh, God's grace in the Old Testament, describes the meaning of chesed on a human level and then takes it to the divine level the way it's used in the Bible. Number one, 
It always involves interpersonal relationships, that is, relationships between fellow image bearers of God, between you and me, between the, 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 the human family. And involves on that human level mutuality. We practice chesed toward each other. I do it to you, you do it to me. Number two, it always involves practical action on behalf of another. You don't just feel chesed. It's not enough to say, I love you. Chesed is what you do. You do it for the benefit of others. Number three, chesed is enduring. It lasts, or as Eugene Peters says says in the message, love never quits. It's intertwined with the whole idea of covenant loyalty, a commitment that's been made. But as expressed or done by God, chesed goes beyond this. Of the 250 times the word is used, the vast majority refer to the vertical relationship we got between God and his people to include all of humanity. Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your chesed, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 33, 5, he, God, loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love, the chesed of the Lord. And the way this is repeated 25 times in Psalm 136 suggests that all of God's actions from the creation of the world to the redemption of Israel, this is verse 5 to 9 creation, redemption 10 to 15 and beyond, testify to his chesed, his care for his people, his love for his people. And chesed is the foundation for both God's judgment and his mercy. God's chesed is what ultimately reconciles the two concepts of judgment and salvation, of holiness and love at the cross. As Jesus in his death satisfies both God's holiness and the demand for judgment and God's love, which calls for mercy, judgment for sin and salvation for sinners in that same event on the cross. Tim Keller's devotional book in the Psalms, The Songs of Jesus, asks about this repetition of his love endures forever. And the question is, why is, why is love highlighted as God's attributes? God has lots of attributes. I'll give you a whole list today. Why is love highlighted? Why is love 26 times when the others aren't? Why not holiness? Isn't that equally enduring? Of course, all of God's attributes. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's unchanging in his character. So they all could be said 26 times with, with truthfulness. But Keller, Tim Keller makes this suggestion. He, he writes, and I quote, none of the attributes of God can be properly understood without the others. Yet Paul hints that while God's greatness can be logically deduced from the created world, Romans chapter 1 says you see the creation and you know there's God. There's no excuse. But he says God's love is a complete surprise and wonder. Looking at the human heart and history, you would never conclude that God loves us, but he does. 
And Paul asks for help to grasp not God's righteousness. We can make sense of that if we just are open-minded at all about it to see that we don't measure up to God's standard and there's a problem there. But the amazing thing of God's love, Paul says that we might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Ephesians 3.18. In the last dozen years or so, I've gotten a little bit more familiar with uh, Bible story books for children. And uh, perhaps my favorite uh, is one by Sally Lloyd-Jones, a British-American author in New York City. I think she actually goes to Redeemer Presbyterian, where Tim Keller has been the pastor for all these years. Uh, she, she wrote an amazing children's Bible story book called The Jesus Storybook Bible. And though she doesn't mention Chesed by name uh, for children, yet she describes it, she defines it in these very special words, kids' language, the love that is described this way, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, Always and forever love. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love, his chesed, endures forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we celebrate. We celebrate today your goodness. We acknowledge your righteousness. We acknowledge that there's no good thing in us that requires your love, but that you, while we were yet sinners, loved us and sent Christ to be our rescuer, the expression of your chesed to us. Oh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.